Hi, and welcome to The Point Being, the Arizona Daily Star's opinion page podcast. I am editorial page editor Sarah Garrett-Gasson. I'm here with Edward Solaya. How's it going, folks? Who's our opinion writer, and we have a special guest today. Uh, David Fitzsimmons is on vacation, terrorizing people in Wisconsin and eating as many cheese curds as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have Kurt Prendergast. Hello, thanks for having me. Who is a reporter on the news side of the newsroom, so mm-hmm. he writes news coverage uh, with no opinion. We are, Edward and I are the, the folks that um, weigh in with analysis and opinion. Kurt is uh, here to share information, and welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. I mean, you can All put right. a little of your personality in yes. it, too. I, I, can, I can be myself. You can be How yourself. Exciting. You may be All right. yourself. Yes. <laughs> All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, uh, Kurt, you and uh, data reporter Alex DeVoy did a really fantastic and extensive project uh, that went with the uh, human smuggling trial of Scott Warren. Uh, you went through federal court records. Uh, you did a lot of analysis and what was the reasoning behind it? What prompted the story? And then what did you find in your investigation? Uh, so the reason that we did it was uh, I, like a half dozen other reporters in southern Arizona, uh, we have been covering the Scott Warren case for a long, long time now. Uh, Scott Warren is a No More Deaths volunteer who was arrested in Ajo in January 2018. Uh, he was in Thiades charged with uh, human smuggling, smuggling two guys from Central America. Um, and he's also the first... Uh, uh, you know, border aid worker in Southern Arizona to face felony, a felony human smuggling trial in like more than a decade. Uh, and so the reason that it, it jumped out at me, it jumped out at all of us is, uh, it's just so rare to do something like this. And then once you get more and more and more into the case, uh, it was like, this really is a unique case. Uh, and I, I go through court records all the time. And, uh, this one just really stood out. Uh, and the big thing is they never charged him. They never accused him of trying to make money doing this. And that is something that if you go through court records, it's just everywhere. Like every case. I went through 361 felony cases uh, in 2018, and there were like four where uh, they weren't specifically accused of making money. And in one of those, it was the migrants had paid to get across the border, and this guy was picking them up, but he didn't actually say he was going to be paid. Um, and so another another one was a guy who had an extensive smuggling career, but kind of it looked like he just knew not to say that he was trying to make money. But with, with the Scott Warren case, it just jumped out over and over again that, like, this this is very, very strange. And so, uh, you know, on the, the other perspective on it is the law enforcement, the prosecution side, uh, is he, uh, you know, had two people who were in the country illegally. They were there for a couple of days. And so the case can be made that he was smuggling people. So what we tried to do is look at his case and look at all the cases and see how his case fit in. And so we had like the the profit was a, you know, that really jumped out as well. Okay. Uh, another thing that I'd seen before, but it always is good to reiterate is uh, I think it was three quarters or so of the people who were charged are U.S. citizens. Right. So this is a little bit away from his case, but because uh, he is a U.S. citizen. Um, but I think people have the image of smugglers and they think that there are people coming across the border and smuggling and all that. And uh, a lot of the people, both drug smuggling I've seen before and human smuggling in southern Arizona are U.S. citizens. And it's a lot of people who are basically a lot of poor people, a lot of people with substance abuse issues, a lot of people who've had very, very tragic childhoods uh, end up getting roped into smuggling. My question kind of has to do with those other cases that were somewhat similar to his. Did those cases end up 
going all the way through the court system, or were they pled out? How did how did those cases work? Yeah, and I guess that's another thing, uh, mm-hmm. another way his case is different is um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the vast majority, like you can almost say nearly all, are plea deals, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's like it's very just like routine. Uh, a person gets busted, they're driving, so people, uh, they – they get, you know, charged as a criminal complaint, and then a couple of weeks later, there's an indictment, and then there's a plea deal, and these things happen, you know, relatively speaking, pretty quickly, uh, you know, a month or two or three. Uh, there's also cases I didn't look at, which were in the magistrate court, which they call flip-flops, is where a person is uh, busted for human smuggling, um, but then they are charged, they plead to uh, aiding and abetting. Okay. So it's a much smaller case, and those things go very, very fast. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it, and there was like, I think it comes out to like a half dozen a month, something like that. But they're just really low-level cases compared to the other ones that I looked at, the felonies. And we're not talking uh, large amounts of money for the most part, as I recall from your story, for the people that not Scott Warren, but the people that were charged with and profited from, were trying to profit from their actions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it usually, uh, it's like the $300 comes up quite a bit. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, out of 361 cases, I think we got the dollar amount that was in court records in like 120 or so, something like that. Uh, and 300 bucks, 200 bucks, even 100 bucks. Uh, there's, there's also a lot of people who uh, are arrested and they say that they're going to get their smuggling fee waived. Mm-hmm. So it's basically they're paying, the, you know, in-kind service in a way. They're paying their own way to get across mm-hmm. by leading people across or driving. So, wow. But it's just a, a small amount of money, yeah. you know. That's kind of surprising to me. Well, it can be mm-hmm. if you have little, that could be a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's also like they get a couple hundred bucks uh, and it looks like it's because they are doing a specific stage in the smuggling effort. So like the people, like the, the migrants, you know, if they get arrested, sometimes they'll say, you know, I was, uh, you know, my family, we're, we're going to pay like $7,000 mm-hmm. and they're trying to get to Michigan or to wherever. But that little that where we are right here in southern Arizona is getting from the border basically to, to Phoenix. Gotcha. Right. And so Tucson also is there, kind of but it seems station. like they're trying to get to Phoenix. So it's just that stretch of the smuggling route. And so these people are it's just point A to point B. And so they're paid a couple hundred bucks. Some people, you know, were gonna get paid a thousand or so. That's that was in there as well. But there is just this huge chain. Uh, from that person leaving wherever they are in, in Mexico or Guatemala or wherever uh, to get to their final destination. There are so many different pieces. There's so many different links in that chain. And where we're at is just one link in that chain. Wow. So kind of back to the Scott Walker specific case. His, Scott, his, Warren. Scott, Scott Warren. Scott Warren. Excuse me. Back to the Scott the, Warren. The governor? Specific, yeah. Uh-huh. God, man. Scott's. It's just, it's that's what gets to me. Um, but more back to his specific case. Mm-hmm. Um now he, he uh, the jury I guess locked eight to four mm-hmm. uh, as far as acquittal mm-hmm. for him and the first the first court case for this second case they've dropped a charge mm-hmm. uh, the the U S attorneys have dropped a charge I know that this may kind of go into a little bit of your opinion but why why do you think they may have dropped that that uh, the smuggling charge in this next case. Yeah, so I, my, my speculation uh, based on observations that I, during the trial was that uh, the, the conspiracy charge uh, was a more complex thing to prove uh, than the harboring charge, which is more like you had somebody there, you knew they were there illegally, and you, kinda, and you shielded them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the gist of it. 
the conspiracy charge was they were saying that Scott Warren, the prosecution that was alleging that Scott Warren uh, was coordinating with a nurse and a doctor and a guy who runs a shelter in uh, the, the Mexican border town south of there in order to move these two men across the border and then up to Phoenix. Gotcha. And so that involves a lot of moving parts, and they, for whatever reason, did not have the man from Mexico testify. Or the nurse, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and so, well the, the nurse testified, but she wasn't – this might be my inexperience, but she wasn't questioned as, like, a suspect so much. Mm-hmm. She was more trying to – like, it seemed that the prosecutors are trying to establish the facts of their, their theory of the case – uh, you know, the, what what happened when the two men arrived, that type of thing. So maybe by implication, they were saying, see, this person is part of this conspiracy. But they they were treating Scott Warren as very much a suspect of a, of a, in a crime, and she wasn't being treated in the same way. Gotcha. So, Do you think this will – he was uh, a norm, No More Deaths volunteer. Do you think that this will have a chilling effect on people, go, Americans going into – uh, the desert doing leaving water for people, the Good Samaritans, the no more deaths. Do you think it will have a chilling effect on people willing to go and do that humanitarian work? So that, that, I, that, I'm very curious about this myself. Uh, I feel like the, the people, who, the no more deaths volunteers who testified uh, in this case and in the other cases about leaving water and trespassing on the, the Cabeza Prieta, um, they were all very composed and they were very like they had conviction. They were very they were, they weren't hesitating at all. So I, I could see how uh, prosecutors going after no more death volunteers could kind of galvanize, you know, people who have these convictions to be like, you know, what, I'm, now I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm definitely going to go. Fall back even harder. Sort yeah. Of thing. But it's also like uh, I don't know what parents would think if they have a, you know, a teenager or, you know, their son or daughters in college. uh if they Google search no more deaths and it comes up that there's these criminal charges floating around, that might cause a problem. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I I think that this case is really indicative of kind of where the Trump administration would like to see uh, prosecutions uh, in cases like this go from here on out. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's, that's kind of me looking at it from the outside. Um, but I keep bringing it up over and over again. The cruelty is the point. And I think that just even continuing this this case now onto what will be his Scott Warren's second trial, that this is it's it's kind of madness. Uh they lost eight four. Um I I don't think it's gonna be any closer than that in this next next trial, but that's the, uh, I guess, the magic of the jury system. You never know who you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask about, he is going to be tried again on the aiding and abetting charges. The harboring. The harboring. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the harboring. Um, what, was he offered a deal? Was he offered, uh, you know, plead to something else and we'll, that we won't go to trial, obviously. But what, what did he turn down or think about? What did they offer? I don't know if the details of the plea are public. Okay. Uh, that there, so I was on vacation for that, that court hearing, uh, but Alex DeVoy covered it for us. Um, and, you know, so did other people as well. So there was talk of a plea being offered. Uh, so I don't know what that is. I don't think that they would tell, I don't think they would publicize the terms of a proposed plea agreement. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's all I can say, I guess. Okay. And when does the second trial start? 
Uh, there is a hearing in August, and then it's scheduled to start in November. I believe the 12th of November. Election season. Yep. Uh, yeah. A little after, actually. But yeah. it, I don't know if this is the forum to do this, but I this is one of these thoughts that I would like to write a story about, but I don't. Maybe I'm just going to put it out there for this. All right. So what we have with the Scott Warren case uh, and with the other prosecutions is uh, a new direction uh, for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Arizona. We have something else that's happening that's totally unrelated. There, I feel like there might be a parallel, and there might be a way to see what could happen to no more deaths in the future, and that is the uh, prosecution of cartel scouts. Uh, for years and years, so cartel scouts are specifically in the West Desert in the Ajo area <laughs> over there, uh, perched on mountaintops with encrypted radios. They'll have little, like, mini kitchens and stuff like that. They'll be up there for days, weeks at a time. And their job is they are guiding groups of either, uh, well, they're guiding groups of, of marijuana backpackers through the valley below. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're also telling them where the Border Patrol is. So the Border Patrol, this obviously irks them and has for years and years. So for a long time, they were trying to, pro- to prosecute them as drug smugglers. But these people, the cartel scouts, usually don't have massive amounts of, of marijuana on them. So they were being prosecuted for illegal reentry, for essentially crossing the border illegally. But then there was a court ruling, a, a local judge here in the, the federal court in Tucson, a couple years ago. I'll get to a point real quick here. This is good. Uh, he said, yes, you can prosecute them for a conspiracy to smuggle marijuana. And so that opened the door. And now we've had, I want to say, hundreds of prosecutions. All right. And so these people, the cartel scouts, are busted for drug smuggling. And the prosecutors are taking more and more steps. They're testing the limits of what that what they can do with that. So uh, that has they've gone in two directions on that. And I think these could shed light on the potential for what could happen with no more deaths. Gotcha. Total speculation, okay? No, totally. Is with the cartel scouts, they started out first busting the scouts, uh-huh. and then they started doing like the helpers, the people who were bringing them stuff, like or just cooking for them or whatever, but didn't have the radio. And then they started doing uh, people who were dropping off supplies at the side of the road at the base of the mountain. And then they started doing uh, people who were buying the groceries in Phoenix and the people whose house it was. So they've expanded it's, it's out. Expanded out. Yeah. Exactly, right? So that once you get that entree, what else can you do? How far can you go with this? If you've established that this is a criminal conspiracy, where do you go? Uh, and then another direction they've gone is like how they charge them and how they sentence them. So they have done uh, – it started out like, okay, we can bust this person for, uh, for drug smuggling. It's a cartel scout. So we're going to charge them. Essentially, we have these worked out these plea deals that we've done a million times here uh, for, a, uh, for backpacking marijuana, like a single backpack. So like 40 pounds of marijuana. I think it comes out to six months in prison, I think, is the standard plea agreement. And then they started uh, uh, expanding that. And what they've done, what's happening right now, is they are now charging people according to the marijuana that went through their view shed. So if they, they catch the scout and they say, how long were you up here? And they say, I was up here for three weeks. Then Border Patrol goes back and checks how many bus of, of backpackers they had during that time. And if any of them happened in the view shed, in the line of sight of that scout, that scout is now criminally liable for that. Oh, wow. And then the way it, and the, the nitty-gritty of it is now they get charged for two backpacks of marijuana. So you end up in a situation. A year now instead of like um, six months. Then, yeah, right? something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just, I just feel like that's. You see what I mean? Like the yeah. parallels we have this because this is this is like, I think the only place in the country where this type of law is being made, where uh-huh. they're breaking ground on this. And so it just kind of shows what happens when the prosecutors have an entree to a new avenue, boom, and they spread it out. So, 
potentially something like that could happen with the no more deaths with humanitarian aid. Wow. And I guess the the point of that would just be to make it too unappealing for anyone to be involved in any way and kind of cut off that support system. Yeah. Because I, I think from law enforcement's perspective, the no more deaths and other humanitarian aid workers are like they are aiding and abetting this illegal act of crossing the border illegally. And I think there's also kind of like the insinuation that they're helping just smugglers of all kinds by having these drop-off points of water. So if that's your perspective, then you would want to kind of eradicate that as much as possible. It's a blockade, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, in military terms. I I just find it interesting that the government would choose to go after the lowest possible kind of supporters of this instead of going up the chain. That's how Uh, you get up the chain, I guess. mm -hmm. I would point out that the, when we looked at those cases, we have one case that is just this massive, massive nationwide conspiracy. Um, but like basically every other case is what I described. It's a, it's a, a guy, uh, you know, walking somebody through the desert, driving them, um, or in, in relatively rare cases, the stash houses. Uh, but they're all like very, very low level people. All right. Well, let's switch uh, topics a bit to something else you're covering, uh, which we have also written about, uh, which is the move from the Benedictine, former Benedictine monastery over on Country Club to the Pima County Juvenile Justice Center. Yeah, I think it's the Juvenile Justice Complex. Complex. I believe. But basically a juvenile, former juvenile uh, ju- uh, detention center. Mm-hmm. Um, and... No, go ahead. The the nitpick, I think, is it's unused portions of the current. Yes, unused. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So unused portions of the uh, juvenile detention center, which are unused because the county has successfully done other mitigation efforts, other uh, ways of handling uh, youth in in distress and uh, with involved in the justice system. So... This has been coming for a while. We've known that the Benedictine Monastery, uh, which was very generously uh, essentially donated to uh, the effort to to house migrants coming who, from mostly Central America who've come, um, asked for asylum, and are on their way to other places in the U.S. to family or sponsors. So can you tell us a bit about the need that the county is filling and what you've reported on in terms of how the county got involved and what has been a tremendous volunteer effort to help and assist these folks. I think so. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. So um, what what has happened is we had this uh, last year in the fall, uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people from Guatemala and Honduras, uh, coming across his families, I remember in the news, the, the Border Patrol was doing the news releases about Lukeville, and you'd have these groups of 100, 200, 300 people coming across together. Uh, and so uh, they were coming, you know, to claim asylum, and when they get picked up, they were not prosecuted criminally, they were not charged, anything like that. Uh, and then they get processed and released, and then you, they would leave, they would no longer be in custody. All right, so it, that raises that issue of, so what did they do? And they don't, they don't, I had one guy, they don't know where they are. 
I, I was talking to this Honduran guy at the Foreign Monastery a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were just chit-chatting about where we were from, and he was, he was like, I have a question. He's like, how do you have water? Right? I mean, because we're in a desert. Mm-hmm. And he's like, how do you, like how, like, how is it that you guys are turning on the faucet and there's water? Right? And so I started explaining the, you know, the Central Arizona project to him. That was ridiculous <laughs> that I tried to do that. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so, so these people, like, you know, these, we have these families coming. So not only adults, right, but also lots of little kids, lots of adorable, sweet little kids running around the foreign monastery. It is a beautiful thing. Um, so without an effort, from like the either the local government or local volunteers, they would be dropped off at the bus station, something just like Greyhound, that. just over. to fend for themselves. Yeah, basically. I mean, because what what is they're no longer in you know government custody, and so who like where who, do you go and what do you do? <laughs> yeah. And so we had a, based on uh, in twenty fourteen twenty fifteen that uh, the unaccompanied children who were coming across. That's when Casa Lidas and Catholic Community Services stepped up and created this this program and everything. Uh, and so they've been doing this for years and years. And so I think it's been – like I'm kind of overwhelmed by the – how it's played out in Tucson versus in other places. It was it's I, it was a massive effort, but it also kind of appeared seamless. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were at hotels when it was first starting to happen. Uh, and then the former monastery opened up and then they had this huge operation – and I was over there on Friday, and there was a counter. They had a spreadsheet up on a computer screen, and it was at 13,784, I believe, <sighs> since October. So so not just at the monastery, but other local shelters and stuff. Churches have stepped up wow. as well. Um, and so they, it's, it's just a massive amount of people. And so they, uh, they've been at the monastery since January-ish in February, and uh, now the monastery is going to go away. It's going to be turned into something else. And, you know, I think everyone, you know, I think they're all very grateful for, you know, having that time to use that space. But they have to figure out what to do now. And so I think it's, uh, you know, to the credit of the local governments and the um, volunteers, um, to their credit, they are taking on that responsibility and trying to find a solution. And so they're uh, uh, stepping in and they are trying. The county is saying that they are going to try to use these Operation Stone Garden funds, which are federal money that is used to reimburse local law enforcement for doing patrols uh, to, you know, patrol the border and things like that. Uh, so uh, they're going to try and use that money. They have to get permission from the state department, Arizona Department of Homeland Security, but I don't know how much of a hassle that would be. So they're stepping in and they're going to use this money. And they have over the last weeks and months have done a search for places where they can go. It seems like it's very important to have like a big central place. Mm-hmm. They want to do that, that kind of like economies of scale and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were, have been looking for a building that can is big enough to house all these people. It's got showers. It's secure. It's bathrooms, all to meet the needs and safety of the people who are going to come through. And they ended up with the uh, juvenile detention center, the unused portions of the juvenile detention center. Mm-hmm. And we had the last week there was that idea floated about using two schools. Apparently that, that idea has died. There have been some problems with you know having those schools be available at all in the first gotcha. place. I think there was also issues with uh, – uh, like showers at schools, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you might have to, I think they have like big vans or trucks that you, that you can pull up and. Yeah. When we, when but, Edward and I were at, the, they have those at the monastery mm-hmm. we saw so, in the back. And yes. that was really more for like over, overrun. If, yeah. If, yeah. if they had more than they could really take there within the, the building. Mm-hmm. But the two, the two schools that were mentioned, former schools, 
uh, TUSD schools were Menlo Park and Howenstein. And Howenstein's a pretty small campus over on uh, South Tucson Road. And um, and then Menlo Park is uh, west side. on the west side. And they don't have showers, but they're right next to this uh, Menlo Park swimming pool. And so the plan could have been just go over to the swimming pool. But the problem there, aside from there already being a school operating in that space because they rent it and will be leasing it through December, is that the pool is a public pool. And so do you, how do you navigate people coming, you know, who need showers and people who are just enjoying a day at the pool? doing their free swim, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but so it looks like that idea is is done. Kaput. Kaput. I believe yes. So mm-hmm. I guess my my question then would kind of have to be about the update today. What what is it that's costing double for the county, or what what is it that the county might not have foreseen that now they're having to kind of make up for? So it, when the idea first came out, uh, I think this was July eighth. Uh, the county said, you know, they issued their memo and all that. Um, they were saying, and to cover the cost for this, we can dip into these Operation Stone Garden funds. And they were talking about $200,000. And that $200,000 was, I think, an arbitrary number mm-hmm. that when the supervisors voted on it, uh, on accepting all of the funds, the $1.8 million, they were like, uh, we want to have $200,000 reserved for humanitarian aid stuff. And so they had that that $200,000. And then over the last couple of days, I guess, they've looked at, like, what's the actual cost and the numbers that they have now released – are showing that it's going to be a lot more than that. Gotcha. And the principal, so I, I, like the, it went from two hundred thousand to five hundred thirty thousand, but it's it, that can be misleading. Mm-hmm. It's not like they estimated two hundred thousand and now they're estimating five hundred thirty. They just had two hundred thousand, and then now they've looked at all the numbers and it's five hundred thirty. Got it. Uh, and so and that's also federal dollars, and that's just they would pull again from the Operation Stone Garden Fund. So it's not something that the local taxpayer is going to pay. It's the federal taxpayer, which is also the local taxpayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the big thing, that, the big ticket item on there mm-hmm. is uh, $327,000 for to, for food, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is like 297 of that is for actual food. And then the rest of it is to pay a couple of cooks. Gotcha. And so the the issue that they're coming up against is – uh, while they're going to be in the unused portion of the detention center, uh, it's still an operating. There are other parts of it are operating, and that kitchen is in the secure area of the whole complex, uh, and so volunteers do not have access to that anymore. Gotcha. So now all the cooking is going to have to get done there, and uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, and it just also it's important to note that that $327,000 is for three meals a day for an average of 250 people a day. Mm-hmm. So if there are fewer people, that cost will go down. Mm-hmm. If uh, you know the local community donates food and they are able to coordinate it well enough to like do sack lunches, that number will go down. Mm-hmm. If they can do it for breakfast, that number will go down. So it's hard to say what is going to be like you know five no- five months from now. What will the actual cost have been? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But as of now, that's what they're thinking. Um. I know that it, in our editorial, we we kind of made it kind of known that we're we're not sure when this this sort of crisis is going to be ending. If there's any real end in sight, um, have you gotten an idea from the county or from anybody associated with this project about how long they they see it kind of going for? What it's 
No, the the like so the the plan that's been put out is is being cast like both simultaneously as in we don't know when this is going to end, mm-hmm. and also with the Stone Garden funds, that's like the allotted amount goes till the end of the year. Yeah, so we have that's the five month. That's kind of what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. So that's that's like what the plan is, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, you know, when they started the monastery, you know, it's like I think they were trying to be there as, as long as they could. And then, you know, things you know shook out the way they did. And now they're at the, you know, juvenile detention center. And we got five months is, is the idea. And that still has to be voted on. That's not a set. That's not done. Mm-hmm. You know, supervisors have to approve it and all mm-hmm. that. Um, but uh, I think they're just trying to think ahead as much as they can. But I don't know how you would predict something like this. It's a very in that's the simultaneously thinking about it as in like. Who knows when this is going to be mm-hmm. done? I, there's, there's just, I don't think there's a person in the world that could tell you uh, when are we going to stop seeing families coming across and seeking asylum. It's just, there's a, it's a massive, complex, socio-historical mm-hmm. situation, and it's, yeah. I'm sure it could be helped with a third-party agreement with Guatemala. I'm sure that might help a few. You just have all the answers. Yeah. You, know, you and uh, President Trump. I know it's brilliant it's, idea. It's those simple, easy answers to yeah. complex problems that really, really get to it, get to the heart of things. Yeah, just wave your magic wand. <sighs> if only. So, uh, anything else you can uh, shed light on in terms of other stories you're working on? I know you've been following uh, the face, the reporting from the Intercept with the discovery of the Facebook closed Facebook groups with border patrol and there's a local connection. Can you share with us what you're working on with that? Yeah. So uh, I, I think it was July 1st or 2nd, I think it was ProPublica was the mm-hmm. one that, that broke it. And, uh, and then the intercept has followed up and so has Politico and everybody, you know, everybody's, everybody's writing about this. Uh, there's this Facebook group that it appears that it was, it was geared towards uh, current and former border patrol agents I believe their tagline was where the old patrol meets the new patrol. And it catchy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a, uh, it, it had 9,500 give or take uh, members of the group and the intercept reported the other day, this is like closed. I don't even know if you can like look at this thing anymore. Um, it's now down to like 4,000. <laughs> right. So I just really fleeing it. Uh, but there was some very, like there is some graphic stuff. There's, uh, some pretty terrible memes and stuff like that dealing yeah. with Congress members. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, I mean, it, and it raises the question, like uh, if with, with 9,500 people involved, are, are we, is, is it 9,000 were posting this type of stuff or was it a hundred, you know, you mm-hmm. can just, it's uh, it's, it's difficult to, it, it looks really bad. Yeah. There's a really mean spirited things that were posted, but how many people were posting it? I, I don't know. Uh, this is again one of those things of, uh, you know, the, the you know the reporters go through all the names and everything, and they're looking for high profile people. And like the head of the border patrol, uh, Carla Provost, her name was in there, but like the it doesn't look like she posted anything, uh, you know, mean spirit or anything like that. Um, and then we have another guy, the uh, the border patrol union, uh, the head of the local border patrol union, border patrol union in Tucson. Uh, he he was named as well, uh, but he didn't post anything bad. And so we're writing about, he's saying, you know, he, he condemns it. He doesn't condone any of this type of stuff at all. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of where we're at. Um, and there's just going to be continued reporting of all the crazy stuff that comes out. Isn't there some question as to how one might even be able to join this group as well? Um, 
isn't I, I know that in certain groups I'm in in Facebook, sometimes you say, hey, you, you want to join this group, you can just join. And other times you have to join and a moderator or somebody within the group has to accept you. Um, have you been hearing anything about kind of how people join that group or how they may have become a part of it sort of thing? Yeah, so the, the Associated Press reported a couple of days ago, they had a, a retired agent who said that in order to join the group, you had to uh, like, uh, I think you had to give your class number from the Border Patrol Academy oh, and have okay. another agent uh, like vouch for you in a way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the local uh, local guy, he, he says that he, it's not like that at all. Like, he was very adamant that that's not how it works at all. Mm-hmm. That it's like uh, someone can add you without you even knowing it. They just so, you know clicking a button and you're in it and you didn't do anything and now you're part of it. Like, he was saying he doesn't even know who added him. What are you saying? Gotcha. And the, the local the local guy we're talking about is Art Art, Art, Art Loquendo. Loquendo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I so this is kind of just more on like my kind of feelings about uh, this group and my kind of interactions with Art before. Um, I I definitely you know um, I I wouldn't doubt that he he didn't you know post any anything like that, but I find it interesting coming from the guy who. Um, on a, f- a few different radio programs during the uh, U of A's uh, incident with a couple of class, or excuse me, a couple of students that disrupted or kind of came in on a Border Patrol presentation, I find it coming interesting from him, a guy who said that he would, if out of uniform, have punched the girls in the throat if they had approached him. Um, I find it kind of funny and just a little bit ironic that he would come out dis um you know just saying like oh no i would never um say or support these sort of uh, ideas and memes that were being portrayed on that facebook group so i just think to add kind of context to what del cueto's claiming he he has not done in this group there's still plenty i think that he would need to answer for um just apart from that that facebook group so I, I just wanted to, wanted to kind of add that in there, but uh, I, I would totally understand that maybe, you know, he did join the group or he didn't even know he consciously joined it. It was just something that, hey, somebody invited me to it and I pushed yes. But I I just feel like adding in that little bit of context to who and what Art Del Cueto has said in the past about people who are not supporters of the Border Patrol is something that needs to be known. So, yeah. All right. (laughs) Well, then is going to be it for us for this week. Um, Thank you, Kurt, for for joining us. Thank you for having me. How can, if people want to reach you, how can they, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, They can call me at my desk, 573-4224. And they can also email me. uh, It's my first initial, my last name that I will spell out for you. It's uh, C P R. E-N-D-E-R-G-A-S-T at Tucson.com. Excellent. So if you want to reach me, I'm at S. Gasson, which is S-G-A-S-S-E-N at Tucson.com. And you can reach me at E-C-E-L-A-Y-A, E-C-E-L-A-Y-A at Tucson.com or on Twitter at my Twitter handle, Reporter Eddie. 
So if you'd like to send a letter to the editor or a guest opinion, you can go to tucson.com slash opinion and you'll see the links at the top to submit a letter to the editor or a guest opinion. We'd love to hear from you. So as always, the views expressed belong to us and are not necessarily those of Lee Enterprises, which owns the star. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.